You've made it to Not Billable, the Law Trades podcast that brings you bite-sized legal and business news updates, full event replays, and conversations with legal pros about what's going on behind the scenes every week. Stop the clock, put the timesheet down, it's time to get started. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Not Billable. I'm Matt Margolis. This podcast is hosted by Law Trades. I have today one of the coolest guests I've ever had on, which I imagine all my other guests are going to get pretty pissed off that I just said that. Um, but it, listen, guys, I love you all equally, but James is just super cool. James, I'm not going to do you justice. Can you uh, give a little bit of background on yourself and what you're doing uh, now? Thanks, Matt. I'm flattered. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that intro. Uh, no say for a long-time listener, just a podcast in general, first-time uh, guest. So this is fantastic. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so right now, I am uh, Associate Counsel and Investments at Draper Associates Venture Firm. So uh, that means I'm half internal counsel, half on the investment committee, kind of bridge the gap between, you know, legal things we want out of our deals and, uh, you know, actually what companies we decide to invest in. Uh, backing up a bit, went to uh, Santa Barbara undergrad and uh, didn't really know what to do after that. So worked in marketing for a year, went to Duke Law School, as uh, I'm sure all the lawyers listening here know, you. Don't know what to do in life you just go to law school seems like a good idea you can kind of postpone the inevitable so uh did that That's loved right. it there uh came back to the bay area worked at lakeman watkins for two and a half years in their emerging companies practice uh like working with startups just hated all things big law which i don't think i'm offending any of my old bosses they could <laughs> that's not tell. a surprise <laughs> they could tell from day one i wasn't partner track but you know i tried to i tried to work hard on the deals i was assigned i think the issue was when you're short on hours and you're supposed to ask for more work, I was never great at that part. I was like, let me just, I'm already working, you know, 10 hours. A day. I'm good. Just call, that, call that fair. So uh, existential crisis, you know, at the age of 27, 28, uh, went and decided I wanted to get my MBA and really round out my education, just blow it all up, uh, you know, jump ship, went to Columbia, which has what's called the J-term program. So the J-term, regular MBA, Except instead of two years, you get it done in 18 months because you start in January. That's why it's called J-term. And then you have a Got it. full semester over the summer. And then you have a regular second year. So guy had already done three years of grad school. This was great. I could save some time. Also, you start sooner. So like I'd applied in October, got in, started in January, as opposed to waiting another year. Sure. Um, so did that. Uh, then as I was set to graduate uh, in 2020, you know, guess what happened? COVID kind of hurt the job market for a while. Wasn't sure where I was going to land. Uh, I actually reached out to my now boss uh, to see if any of his VC portfolio companies had openings. Uh, or at least that's kind of the anticipation when sure. I was speaking with him because I know that's like a good way to find you know jobs VCs are always trying to they know who's just raised money and you know who's got headcount they need to fill. Uh, he had a proposition for me which was hey you've got a legal background which I know you're trying to shy away from but like let's not not gonna lie that's kind of useful to me. So why don't you come in you can help me save on legal bills and simultaneously you know you can train via VC while you're here so you know kind of come to all the company pitches sit on the investment committee all those decisions and. 
So uh, that worked pretty well. Um, I also didn't have any other options. Um, <laughs> this was the summer of 2020, and uh, this has been a happy ending two and a half years later. Still here at Draper, still uh, working as our internal counsel, but also you know uh, developing my own investment portfolio and board observer on a few companies. So I kind of run the gamut, never really know what I'm going to do, uh, trying to be a renaissance man in my own way, uh, but you know. It's uh that that's that's not terribly succinct, but that's what I am and what I do. It is. I see so you have a really cool background. Um, I don't have that cool of a background, so I'm gonna be honest with you. So hearing that, I mean, that was the dream for. And I tell you what, probably people listening have, have the similar kind of dream, right? Go to law school, maybe you do that dual JD MBA, and then you go work as this hybrid legal business professional, and you kind of found your way into it as opposed to like that was the original path, right? It sounds like mm-hmm. you went to law school. By the way, same boat, man. I went to law school because I was like, I was I was getting a master's in public policy. I remember this, and I remember seeing um, like a lobbyist in the government. I was in Tallahassee, and um, the lobbyists that had no legal background were just like waving their arms around, like just like kind of flailing, like selling things, right? And then like the lawyer lobbyists, those guys were really cool because they knew their you know they knew their stuff. And um, I was like, all right, I got I guess I got to do this now. I'm like, I guess I got to go to law school. So I feel that, man, but. I, it's really cool to see that you went to law school and you transitioned into this hybrid business legal uh, role, especially coming out of big law where a lot of folks go to big law and they're like, I'm going to be partner. I'm going to be partner. That's, that's, that's the dream, right? Yeah. For some, I, uh, <laughs> it's funnily enough. Look, I, I love Latham and Watkins. I, uh, great training, you know, big law is not for everybody, but, um, yeah, no, I, I knew it wasn't it just wasn't what I, what I wanted. Um, but you know, it's, it's like, there's, it's hard to not respect partners at big law just cause you know, God, how hard it is and how hard they still work. Oh man. Now listen, when the billable hour requirement, I actually, I'll tell you this. I don't know if you ever heard this story, but like it was an above the law article where there's this big law attorney. I don't remember the firm, but he was so proud because he was billing 3000 hours a year. And he was like, and it was like this crowning achievement of, a, of an article. I think it was a little bit, right, like tongue-in-cheek because above the laws like this is almost mm-hmm. very close to not humanly possible. But this individual <laughs> was just like, he's like, look what I did. And I read that and I'm like, maybe, I don't know about you, but I was like, maybe law isn't for me. Um, I don't it's know if I can big do law. that. Um, but yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, no, I, I knew it wasn't. It just wasn't what I what I wanted, um, but you know, it's it's like you, there's it's hard to not respect partners at Big Law just because you know, God, how hard it is and how hard they still work. Oh man, now listen, when the billable hour requirement, I actually I'll tell you this, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but like it was an above the law article where there's this big law attorney, I don't remember the firm, but he was so proud because he was billing three thousand hours a year, and. He was like, and it was like this crowning achievement of, a, of an article. I think it was a little bit, right, like tongue-in-cheek because above the laws like this is almost mm-hmm. very close to not humanly possible. But this individual <laughs> was just like, he's like, look what I did. And I read that and I'm like, maybe, I don't know about you, but I was like, maybe law isn't for me. Um, I don't it's know if I can do law. that. Um, but yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's, no, it's, it's. It's, it's a grind. Needless to say, it's a grind, but you left the grind because you had different aspirations, which I'm seeing that more and more from folks, right? They're, they're leaving the traditional path of going to become a partner, a senior partner, shareholder, what have you, mm-hmm. and then just kind of 
building the book and then eventually retiring at the ripe age of a thousand and one <laughs> and then finally right and then finally being done with law maybe you're like of counsel or whatever at that point but you didn't do that you did something different which i think was really cool so what compelled you to go to, to get your mba like what made you think hey i should go to columbia yeah so um a little background there so when i actually went to duke i did envision a J joint jd mba degree and okay. At least originally, uh, and the way it works, there's sort of a catch-22 with MBAs where you need a good experience to pass the application, you know, to actually get in there. You need to have like done something somewhat impressive up till then, uh, and then you kind of, and so when you are trying to get into a JD MBA program as like straight out of undergrad, you it's hard to do. You know, you don't really have sure. the traction yet. So my original plan was. What you can do is you can get started at the law school and then it'd be your third year would be just MBA and then your fourth would be a hybrid. So, cause it's four years if you do it all at once. Sure. Um, I had some family stuff come up. Uh, mother passed away when I was in law school. So, you know, bit of a bummer, obviously. I stuck it out at law school, but I was like, I'm not doing four years here. And you know, who knows? I it might not have worked out anyway at the time, but like I had always had that vision for me in my head. And then I'm like, ah, crap, I'm stuck in big law, which, you know, wasn't terrible, uh, sure, sure, sure. but it was, it was something I was kind of like, uh, I was revisiting a goal more than something that sparked in me. What was the catalyst when I was decided, you know, I, screw it. Now's the time it's Columbia. I'd started dating my now wife. Um, and I remember being close to hitting hours my first year, which by the way, the bonus relative to salary of first year associates is, is tiny. Not that, yeah. at least when I was doing it, it was like 10,000 on 180 salary, whatever like the cravat scale was at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's not nothing to sneeze at, but like that's a very low percentage relative Compared to hours to work. Time. And I was like, yeah. you know, I'd rather like go on a few extra dates with this girl hoping that it leads to something that would actually matter for the rest of my life. Respect. And so as Respect. soon as I did that, I was like, you know what, maybe my priorities are like kind of going this way. What do I actually want to get out of life? And then, you know, the Columbia JD or J term program, I was like, look, this is great. I can start right away. I don't have to apply, wait a whole year and then start. And then two more years after that, before I re-enter the workforce. Cause like I did do need to make money. You know, I've been grad sure. school for long enough. Uh, and I thought even if I, if I left my Latham job straight to another in-house position, I just don't know that'd be enough of a pivot for me. I love the tools that Latham gave me and I love understanding the mechanics behind venture financing, which is frankly what makes me valuable uh, as an attorney, but it's not what I wanted to be my principal thing. It's just not my skill set. I, uh, I'm not, maybe I'm not formal enough to be a like very, very good firm lawyer i needed to find something else so that was that was it and that's why columbia also i'd always wanted to live in new york and i wasn't disappointed it's fantastic i'm a west coast kid i'm back here now but like god what a city that must have been a blast man um it was. and i like the way you're saying that like th there is a formality to working that traditional lifestyle you know like the traditional big law and not just big law right like general firm life mm -hmm. and to do this kind of hybrid thing that you're doing right this business, legal, advice, strategic business advisor slash legal advisor, you really do need to be fluid, flexible, that you can roll up your sleeves and you're not this just very formal mentality. I could feel it from the conversation we're having that like, I could be in a business conversation with you and you're like, listen, this is how it works. Easy, easy, this is it. 
Yeah, one of my favorite things I've done at this job is taking on some legal interns. Uh, I, t I took a, oh, a legal, like a you know, a rising 2L. So the summer before you join a big firm, you know, before your OCIs. Yep. And I just had so much fun being like, look, they're going to tell you a million things. Here's like the three things that'll get 90 per get you 90% of the way there. And so that's just how I try and approach things. And um, yeah, I look, when I went to MBA program, my thought was I'm going to leave legal totally in the dust. And then I graduate and I'm like, you know what? That's actually kind of what makes me valuable right now. Uh, and, you know, maybe forever. And so I can't totally ditch it, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I planned it. I, listen, I, I, I respect it. I think it's the coolest thing ever. So let me, I'm going to ask you this because I, my background is not in VC. My background was, funny enough, was in private equity. So I, I, it's just a different environment, right? It's a totally different environment, especially over the last two years. I think even during COVID for you, it must have been a wild ride because a lot of the tech market was booming. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on when you came in and, in 2020 and what the environment looked like and love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, backing up quickly, my, my boss and the managing partner of the fund is Tim Draper, who's been doing this for 40 years. Legend. A while, a while. He's seen cycles, so he is more equipped to actually talk about, you know, sure. what I've I've been here for two and a half years, so I've seen like a little mini roller coaster, and he's talking in terms of eons. Um, what I will say from when I when I first joined fall 2020 through, you know, the first half of 2021 at least, we'd be taking pitch meetings. You know, mm. they'd say words, and these are mostly on Zoom. You know, uh, which is convenient, and they're all over the world. You know, they might say, hey, we're doing this NFT project that does X, Y, and Z. And it's some kid yep. who's kid, you know, he's like 21 in a very nice apartment. You can tell because it's on Zoom. And I'm like, I don't really know where this is going. And then they'll be like, we're actually, they're doing the call 30 minutes perhaps. So they go, I don't really think this is for us in my head. And uh, they're like, actually, we're oversubscribed. You know, we've already raised 30 million. This is just, you know, for the next round. And I'm like, okay, so my expectations need to totally shift because I thought I had not me particular, but I thought, you know, we're on this side of the table. I'm here to like judge and I'm yep. like, well, okay, I'm judging, but like, it doesn't really matter right now because it's so frothy. Um, and so that, and that trickled down into terms when we are at least at that point in the market, when we were, you know, trying to join around, you might have to just swallow your pride and say, we're not getting what we kind of want out of this deal, but it's, we just gotta like, we gotta allocate this capital somehow. Shift to now we are, you know, we're seeing more, not so much down rounds, but a lot of some flat rounds, companies sure. that are raising at the valuation they raised that six months ago. What we tell our portfolio companies as the investors is raise as much as you can, spend as little as you have to, you know, cut burn, obviously. There's this magical number with burn rate that's uh, 350,000 net, um, which only applies to some of the larger companies. But if you can get underneath that, then you're much more likely to succeed, et cetera. So we're having a lot more conversations along those lines. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, as much as I would enjoy like having more leverage with new companies now, when yep. we're, you know, talking about initial investment, that's kind of offset by the conversations I'm having with existing portfolio companies where I'm like, I really want you to keep going and succeed. And it's, I'm feeling this tough market for you right now. And, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to each. Now that's. It's it's so funny you say that about the like the NFT project thing. Yeah. Web Web three in like twenty twenty was is probably like AI now if I had to guess. It's probably very similar to what AI because AI is 
any, you know, if you even bring that up, like you're, you're raising X amount of dollars. I think I just saw recently, I don't remember. It might've been like company pre-revenue, $150 million raise at a billion dollar valuation. Like mm -hmm. something in the, uh, I think it was AI marketing. I, I took, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, that's definitely kind of the new hot thing on the block. Look, the, the blockchain is still a magical word if it's used sure. correctly. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, I, I you know, I'll name the guy, but the, the kid who was oversubscribed, we somehow got in the round. They then raised at a higher valuation, you know, six months ago, and I think they're still doing fine. So, like, it's that's sometimes awesome. I'm skeptical for no good reason, but it is a... Uh, it was definitely a tough market and like you can't have any ego on your side of the thing because and you know not to be ageist but like young founders are great you know if you're scoring that's a good those are good points because these are people who are motivated going to work all the time yeah. at it um and they don't know enough to be like afraid so they're just they're just gunning um going through yeah. Eat, mm -hmm. happy to pivot willing to do whatever yeah no absolutely uh it's just it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know. It makes me laugh a little bit just because like there's all these jokes on the internet. T Twitter, right? Twitter is a cesspool and Twitter will, and VC Twitter is like the funniest thing and everyone will talk about it, right? Like like the, the pivot over to AI, but also like the difference between the two uh, macro environments. And I think now the other thing I've been hearing recently is what is it called? Like up round, or sorry, up and name only? Ra up round and name only, I think is what people are calling it where it's, it's an up round, but the terms kind of to what you said before are are much more in favor of VC as opposed to mm -hmm. in 2020 when you're eight, where you're like, I'm just trying to get in. I'm just trying to get in the round. Yeah, you're trying to get in. You know, you're, you're seeing a lot of safes. It, you know, we do a side letter, so we get a little extra protection there. But um, no, it's funny. You can kind of tell who's got leverage, whether you're using the word safe or like, please send us a term sheet so we can do a price round, you know? It's, <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's a different market. It's a different market. Well, I think it's really cool that you're doing that. And listen, you said yourself that you're also not just acting as you know legal counsel, mm -hmm. but you're also independently acting as a board observer. You're also acting as a as a uh, investor yourself in some of these companies. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, at least when I joined, I was probably eighty twenty legal, just because you're trying to be useful immediately. I'd say now I'm closer to fifty fifty, uh, and the fifty that's not legal. You know, it's meeting new companies. So we're industry agnostic. So I know a uh, little about a lot. You know, every time there's like a specific company that's doing something uh, very esoteric, I got to drill down, rely on outside experts to kind of figure out what sure. they're actually saying. But, you know, we have some general investment principles that we try and layer onto everything we see so that we actually are, you know, not coming in like Bambi every time. You do have some sense of pattern recognition, which is a lot of what VC is. So uh, it's your standard Shark Tank type pitches you know you hear someone talk for it's be a 30 to 45 minute initial meeting over zoom they'll run through their uh their deck which you know gotta love those seen a few thousand um you know here's our here's the problem here's how we're solving the problem here's how the founding team is special try and ask some intelligent sounding questions wrap your head around the product whether distraction uh, do some follow-up, uh, usually on our own, you know, it's funny. Google is a great resource, uh, legal or investor oh, yeah. it's, you know, uh, it's where we go first. And then, um, you know, we've worked with our investment community to decide whether actually we're, we're going to make, you know, make an offer and at what price. And then I switch hats, put on my lawyer hat again, whether we're sending a term sheet or, you know, a safe and side letter depends on frankly, like the size of the investment, you know, what's more justified. Uh, and then I am, you know, it's funny cause I'll have gone from a uh, meeting with a CEO two or three times saying, Hey, tell me about your company. Hey, I like your company. Let's learn more. 
be like, I really like your company, answer these last few questions and maybe we've got a deal. And then my fourth conversation will be, hey, here's the term sheet. Please put me in contact with your outside counsel. So, you know, if they have any issues with our terms, I can then, you know, be a little I, more, uh, you know, uh, clear about like what we want and what we need. And um, as soon as the term sheet signed, you know, usually it's, it's actually helped where I've had these, they know me, they know I'm not, I'm interested in their company and I'm not, I'm not a guy who's getting tagged in at the last second to say, hey, like, now I'm going to argue for all these things that, you know, we want that you have to give up. It's not a zero-sum game. As soon as the term sheet's signed, then we tag in our external counsel, and they help with the actual drafting and diligence of the documents. Um, but, no, it's uh, it's fun. And usually usually it works because it's kind of like a lukewarm intro until you have to get down to brass tacks, which is the term sheet. But uh, I found that it's worked pretty well when you it's clear that it's a partnership. It's really funny you say that point because I've noticed that as being an in-house attorney myself and like all my buddies who are you know in-house attorneys, they say the same thing. They all come in if they're looking at a target, right? Uh, as that business person, you build that relationship and then you close it as legal and those deals are such better deals, friendlier negotiations, friendlier terms, just overall a better experience for both parties than, you're right, when like outside counsel's thrown like a term sheet or outside counsel is thrown in at the end to draft up a term sheet and they're like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what the relationship is. I don't know what the, maybe I know the relationship as in like, I know what my client wants, but I don't know what everyone wants. I can't really do this holistically. So I think that's cool. And also I think you're kind of describing the difference between in-house attorneys and outside counsel, right? Like outside counsel is, it's just more buttoned up. It's just a different kind of experience. And let me ask you this, like, have you noticed that? Have you seen a difference mm -hmm. between like yourself and how you present the uh, deals and how you work through deals as an attorney and like your outside counsel? Yeah, so our outside counsel, mm -hmm. we use Brubaker Law Firm. Shout out Jared, fantastic. Um, they are great and they've been working with with us since I've been here and with Tim for six, seven, eight years, something like that. So they, what's most important with an external counsel is what they're great at, which is knowing your client's needs. So, you know, if, if I were at Latham and I were, and I'd gotten comments back from the opposing counsel, I didn't have discretion to say, oh, that doesn't actually matter. Here are the three, there's 10 things that are marked up. Uh, you know, I can throw out three off the top because they don't matter, we'll live with it. You don't have that discretion as an outside counsel if you don't know your client. So that's the most important thing is streamlining negotiations by knowing what actually matters and what you can focus on. There's still always questions after each turn, you know, hey, this is kind of an edge case, what do you think? Generally, as in-house counsel, I just want to get the deal done. I think that's the biggest piece, say, like, I know in my head what our pillars are that are going to keep us strong and secure through the next round and what we'll be comfortable with. Uh, you know, you start with more so that you can get back to those, but I know in, you know, my head, like, what we what we want to live with. That's the biggest difference, I think, with, um, you know, in-house and sure. external is that level of discretion. Again, though, good external counsel can kind of bridge that gap. What I will find when I'm, uh, uh, I'll give an example. I sent a safe and uh, safe and side letter to a company a few weeks ago that we, they, the founder uh, knows Tim, they've worked together previously. Uh, you know, they're quite friendly. Good handshake deal on the terms, no problem. Sent it to counsel. It's a big law firm, you know, obviously don't need to say who, but uh, two weeks after I send this safe, standard YC safe, Side letter, page and a half. Uh, you know, I get three guys from their firm copied on this email, and huge markup. 
changed the one or two material terms uh, that I don't know where they came from. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking like, your incentives are totally different than ours because yeah. I don't bill by the hour. Um, you know, it's the name of the podcast. <laughs> I Thanks, want, I know that the CEO and my boss get along very well and both just want this deal done, but there's this extra pressure on their side to, you know, I'm not sure. saying it's specific to this deal, it's just to get, it's to, you know, make this difficult. And, you know, I'm also not terribly confrontational when I don't want to be. And so I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't like the way this makes me feel inside. <laughs> I gotta have this argument now. I just want us all to get along. So, you know, that's the, a scenario like that, Again, we're all, you know, I try and focus on what are important terms, get back to the material terms, what had been agreed upon and what we can live with. But just like big picture, I, you know, uh, you know, I just want to get it, get it done. And then what's the consequence of that scenario is so we, you know, get this deal done, um, should be shortly. The, uh, as counsel versus you know working with the company counsel i'm not going to sure. leapfrog them and talk to the founder i can't that's that's not that's not good ethics however once they're a portfolio company there is the potential to say hey i would like you to be cognizant of legal expenses generally going forward because burn rate is an issue and so when a deal is something that you think can be done simple just be sure to communicate like that to your counsel so that they don't take it as, hey, I'm gonna fight tooth and nail for every piece of this relatively standard agreement. And I think that's valuable. Like the legal expenses, I mean, we know they'll, they'll, they'll kill these companies. And it's usually, when it's, a, when, it's, when it's someone trying to give money to the company, it should be relatively I, I straightforward. You more. I have a story like that too, where I had a deal where it wasn't even the target, it was, the, it was a management company that we were gonna be utilizing. And I remember, Big law firm, same as you, I won't say the name. Everyone listening to this knows who it is. And I got, um, <laughs> I got, yeah, right? I got a 125 page agreement, 125 pages. And I remember looking at it and I had like a standard form, easy, neutral. Always start, like, I think that's probably like the mantra of an in-house attorney. Keep it, I keep things neutral because you're right. Like I don't, I don't wanna fight. I just need to get the deal done and everyone makes out, mm -hmm. like everyone makes out well, everyone's happy, right? Great. So I remember getting that in my external counsel, like what you're describing for your external counsel, very with it understands, and he looks at it and he goes, I'm not using this. Because this is gonna take this is gonna take two weeks, three weeks to get through. It's gonna cost X amount of dollars. And ultimately he sends back another agreement and says we're using this paper. We're gonna use this paper. Why? Because it has all the terms that we all care about. We'll get the deal done. We're gonna save everyone time and money. And ultimately mm. we did get to use our paper. And I, my understanding is that management company is still using that paper. So like, like why, why, why <laughs> show value? And I think you're right. It is that perverse incentive of like the billable hour, right? I mean, two weeks of work is two weeks of work. Yeah, it's that, and value. it's like it's showing, yeah. it's trying to show value. Like, which I, I'm, that's a more sympathetic way of putting it than just callously saying <laughs> purely trying to bill hours. Like, I get it. You want to show that you were listening or that you contributed, and. You know, maybe they genuinely in their heart of hearts believe that every single piece of red ink was necessary, but it's not in the client's interest. And from in-house, that's very obvious because, yeah, that's like it. Said, At the end of the day, to to... you've got a CEO that's, that's, that's like, look, I don't care. I don't care. Same with me. Like, I had a CEO who's like, I don't care. Just make sure costs look like this. The deal looks like this. These are the terms we care about. And you're right. And it's just, 
it, it's a bit of a disconnect. But that being said, once you find counsel like you're describing that gets it, it's, it's great. These deals are so much easier, less headache, less stress. It's just, mm-hmm. and then you look great as in-house counsel because that's just an extension of you. And then you're like, all right, I'm killing it. I got this done. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's great. It's I, great. I tell you what, man. So let me ask you this because I, and this is selfish because I just want to know this personally. I'd love to, I'd love to know this dynamic of being like counsel above these portfolio companies because they all have potentially, right? Depending on what round they're in, they, they may have mm-hmm. in-house counsel, they may have a few inside counsel, or they may rely on outside counsel to do most of their legal work. What does that dynamic look like? Like, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, sure. So it depends on the size of the company. Like if a company is a series, has just raised a series seed, so they're like, usually fresh into our portfolio. They might have external counsel, but they certainly don't have a GC or anybody like that. Um, so what I try and offer to these companies is like, you want to just bounce something off of me. Uh, I am free. I do not cost you anything. And it's in both of our interests yep. for you to go to me before you go to anybody else. So usually they'll, those conversations where I can actually provide value is around structuring future rounds. They might say, hey, look, We've got runway for six months. We're trying to extend that. You know, we want to raise a million dollars. You know, should we like try and meet with VCs to do, get a term sheet or what? And I'm like, look, convertibles are your friend in this scenario where you're just trying to raise a little bit to, to bridge. And you know, how they can think about uh, you know a cap or a, a discount relative to the next round. You know, if they're they might call and say, hey, we've got a you know, an IP issue here. And then I said, hey, look, I'm glad you I'm glad you talked to me. I don't know. So like, you know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to engage specialty counsel for that. That's, you know, just being a free legal resource is kind of what I wanna do uh, in those scenarios. And I think it's, it's generally helpful in terms of, you know, getting the rounds done. And then as they get larger and they have their own counsel, their own GC, uh, I work as the liaison between obviously the portfolio company and, you know, uh, the rest of our investment committee. So that'll be you know, uh, additional rounds. So if we've invested at the series seed and they're raising the A, my main motivation is to make sure that our uh, most important sure. rights get carried over. Um, and, you know, the interest of clarity, generally that's like pro rata rights, uh, board observer seed if we have one, you know, a few other things. And basically what I'm trying to do, and I hope usually this works is because I have a good relationship with these portfolio companies. I know ahead of time that they are working where well, they've got a term sheet and a lot of times we have approval rights. So it's not just being polite. They have to, but it's just how it helps to be polite. Um, you know, I know that the new rounds coming, I make sure I'm like, look, please, please, please send us the docs as soon as they're available instead of like getting them in nothing worse than you get docs sent on, you know, uh, Friday. That's like, Hey, we're trying to close Monday. These are in substantially final form, even though you're seeing them for the first time, even though you have a uh, strict veto on this round and, and none of your rights transferred exactly. over. When that happens, you're like, All right, well, this is a miscommunication here because yeah, this is, a, this is bad for everybody. Uh, but trying to make sure, again, my even though, even when we're not participating, because usually we do our pro rata, but assuming in this case we're not, it's still in my interest to get the deal done. I don't want the company to spend more on legal than they have to ever. And so as long as we can continue some of our basic rights over, and generally that's a win-win for everybody, then 
that's my priority. I'm not trying to fine tooth comb every agreement necessarily or, you know, raise every edge case. I, same thing, like I want you to get this done so you can get back to building. That's in everybody's interest. So help me to help you by getting it to me early, please. And I've, you know, try and communicate at the start, like, hey, their term sheet doesn't address our existing rights. That's fine. They wouldn't know as these new lead investors. Like, just please keep in mind these things that are important to us. And then in the back of my mind, you have to. You actually have to keep this in mind. So like, you kind of have to. <laughs> but like, I'm sure. not trying to like hold that in my back pocket. I'm trying to tell you right I, now, just I so you can get it done. Like, what you're describing, I wish more attorneys were like it. It's this business-minded, this, and it's also the, the, the business acumen to be like, look, I can be professional and I can be very friendly to make sure things get done. I don't have to be adversarial. I don't have to fight. We can we can all win mm. at the end of the day. So I listen, I appreciate that. If you're listening to this podcast, please listen to James and please be like this because I'm tired of dealing <laughs> with the meanest, crappiest OC ever. Like I just want to break. Um, well, James, listen, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the insight. I think everyone, all the listeners greatly appreciate it. So let me ask you this. If someone wants to reach out and maybe ask you a question or two, just to understand your career path, what you've done, and what, how do they get a hold mm -hmm. of you? Do they get a hold of you through socials or? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, James Walker, Draper Associates, but feel free to shoot me a direct email, james at draper.vc. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, I'm always happy to, to chat. Um, yeah, when I, uh, when I tell people what it like, how I usually get asked more, how do you become a VC sure. than how do you become a VC lawyer? You know, which I would think is fair. You know, I I'd say it's you you gotta have a hook of some sort. Mine was lucky enough law, having a legal background that was able to save my boss legal bills and then kind of get my foot in the door and then you learn as you go along. Um, if you're you know interested in it generally though, happy to chat and yeah, it's a pleasure talking with you. A lot Thanks, of fun. Man. I appreciate it, man. This is a awesome episode. And for all you listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. We'll, we'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out also on LinkedIn and Twitter to keep up to speed with what we're doing. Catch you on the next one.